You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, The God Who Rescues. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Egypt to Mount Sinai, looking at how God redeems and forms a people for himself. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were being held captive? And hopefully, I don't mean that literally, um, but in some way or another, you've been in a situation or in circumstances that you just couldn't get out of on your own, right? Could be a meeting or a conversation, could be a relationship that's abusive or toxic. It could be some kind of debt that you're facing. It could be an addiction to drug, alcohol, pornography, or something else. Could be your own fears and anxieties and need to control could maybe even be in a worship service where the pastor's preaching too long. The point is, we can all think of times or situations that we've been in, in which we could do nothing to get ourselves free, right? And I want you to think for a moment about what you feel in the midst of those times. Right? We can feel scared, overwhelmed, depressed, out of control, powerless, ashamed, trapped, burdened, hopeless, and the list could go on, right? It doesn't feel good to be in a situation in which we feel like we have no control and in which we have no hope of getting out. Because despite what we may wish was true, we can't often pull ourselves free from those chains. And we can't pull ourselves up out of those pits. We need someone to rescue us. And in the story of Exodus that we are walking through in this sermon series this fall, this is precisely where the people of Israel find themselves, right? They are enslaved in Egypt and their oppression is growing more and more severe as the days go by. And so at just the right time, like we talked about last week, right, God appeared to Moses out of that burning bush and he sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. But that didn't go so well. And as a result, Pharaoh started to crack down even harder on those Israelites, increasing his demands on the bricks that they were making for him and and demanding even that they would keep up with their production when they had to go out and gather their own supplies. And so eventually it hits a point where Moses asks God, 
what's your plan here? Because it seemed like things were only getting worse and worse for the Israelites instead of getting better. And so in Exodus chapter six, beginning in verse one, God told Moses, I'm gonna read a few verses for you, and I didn't get time to, to make it into a slide, but I'm gonna read a few verses here from Exodus chapter six. God told Moses, then Yahweh said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, Say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. God was telling Moses, that once and for all, he was about to prove his power over the Egyptians and over the gods that they worshiped. God wanted to be very clear to Pharaoh and the Egyptians who exactly it was who was rescuing these Israelites out from under them. And it wasn't a guy named Moses. But Yahweh also wanted to be clear to the Israelites who he was and what he's able to do so that they would know that the God who made a promise to Abraham was able to make good on that promise if they would follow him. And so these strikes, these plagues that God sent were signs of the Egyptians and their gods and their impotence but also of Yahweh's power. So God strikes Egypt these nine times, and if you're reading along with us in the reading plan, we're gonna read these chapters this week. But if you read carefully about these first nine plagues, you'll see the design of these strikes comes as three sets of three strikes, and each one is set, each set, begins with Moses confronting Pharaoh in the morning as he's going down to the Nile River. And after each strike, which the author of Exodus repeatedly says was the worst of that experience that Egypt 
had ever had. After each strike, Pharaoh considers letting the people go. But ultimately, he hardens his heart. And so God strikes again. All right, the water of the Nile turned to blood. The frogs came up out of the waters and into the Egyptians' homes and filled their pots and everywhere. Gnats came and swarmed around the people. Flies came and bit them. All of their livestock developed a sickness. Boils broke out over their bodies. Hail destroyed all the crops in the land of Egypt. And locusts came to devour anything that was left. And then darkness fell over the whole land for days. And then God decides he's going to raise the stakes even higher because Pharaoh is still not willing. And as Jeremy read for us this morning in Exodus chapter 11, similar to the way that Pharaoh tried to deal with the Israelites, by commanding the midwives to throw all the baby boys into the Nile River, God says he's going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. But the firstborn among the Israelites were going to be spared. Because all through these plagues, God has been making a distinction, right, between the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. So while all of this was happening to the Egyptians, the Israelite livestock was spared from the plague. And in Goshen, where the Israelites live, that was the only place where the crops weren't destroyed by hail. And the flies didn't come and bite the Israelites. And, when, and they had light when all the rest of Egypt was plunged into this darkness. And so God said again, when it came to the firstborns, there was going to be a distinction between Egypt and Israel. But this time, during this 10th and final plague, there's going to be a difference. This time, the people of Israel had something to do. If we were to continue reading in, in Exodus chapter 12, Jeremy said I was only allowed to give him one chapter to read, not two. Um, but if we kept reading in chapter 12, God gives explicit commands to the Israelites through Moses about exactly what they were supposed to do to mark their household as part of Israel. Right? God was going to save them from the fate that the Egyptians would suffer. Only God can do the work of saving but the Israelites had a role to play in their salvation. They were told to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood from that lamb and to smear it on their doorposts, the door frames of each of their homes, right? It's a sign to the angel of death. And when the angel saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over that house and that household and the firstborns within those families would live. But that lamb was also meant to become the main course in a meal that the people of Israel were going to eat together that night, but also 
for years and years to come as a commemoration and celebration of what God had done in rescuing the people of Israel. The lamb was to be eaten with bread baked without yeast as a reminder that they didn't have time to waste. They had to be ready to get up and leave the land of Egypt. And this meal of of lamb and unleavened bread was to be an opportunity to remember what God had done. And when the kids asked, as kids often ask questions, why are we eating this meal on this night? They were to have an opportunity to tell again the story of what God had done in redeeming and rescuing his people from Egypt. And so those children and each generation that would follow would be formed and shaped by this story. So they would have an opportunity to hear again that they followed a God who rescues. This Passover event was to be so significant in the life of the people of Israel that God also told them it was going to be the start of a new calendar year for them. It was going to mark the beginning of a new calendar that they would keep from this point forward. A new kind of time was being inaugurated by this Passover event. And it would be marked and kept by its yearly celebration. And it was during one such Passover celebration, roughly a millennium and a half later, that a group of Jewish men sat around the table with their rabbi, their teacher that they'd given their lives to following. And that teacher, in the midst of their remembering the mighty acts that God had performed to redeem the firstborns of Israel and to rescue the people from the land of Egypt, he took the richness and the symbolism that was already infused into that meal and he gave it a whole new meaning. That teacher took some of that flat bread that had been baked without yeast and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it and he gave it to those who were with him. But instead of reminding them about the haste with which their people had had to leave Egypt, he said, this bread, is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it and remember me. And that teacher who had been identified by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God, he took one of the cups of wine and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not the blood of a lamb applied to the doorframe of their homes to rescue them from their captivity in Egypt. The blood of God himself shed to rescue us from our captivity to sin and applied to our hearts to free us to be the people of God. You see, friends, the God who rescued is still the God who rescues. 
But instead of rescuing a people from physical enslavement, he's rescuing a people from our spiritual captivity to sin. That we're just as powerless to free ourselves from as the people of Israel were to free themselves from the land of Egypt. And he's freeing us so that we can become his people, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own treasured possession. And friends, God calls us to participate in that salvation. He calls us to participate in the work that he's doing to bring salvation to the world. Not that we can do anything to add to what, not that we can do anything that would add to what Christ has already done in dying and rising again for us. But he calls us to participate. Just as he's called people all through history cooperate with him, to receive for ourselves what God has done for us and cooperate with the grace that he's working in our lives, but also to participate in that salvation on behalf of our families, right? Claiming the salvation of God for those unable to claim it for themselves until they reach a point where they can receive God's grace for themselves. It's so interesting to me that as the Israelites prepared that night, as they had received the instructions, they took the lamb and they slaughtered the lamb and gathered up the blood and smeared it on the door frames of their house. One person, most likely, the father was taking that blood and applying it to the house on behalf of his family. And it was through that one person's act that his family experienced salvation. And I understand that there's a point in which we have to accept God's grace for ourselves, right? And we have to choose to walk with Jesus. But I think in our American, Western, individualistic mindset, we underestimate the power of choosing for our families, of choosing for our kids, of saying, this is where we stand. until they can reach that point for themselves. So God calls us to participate in the salvation on our own behalf, on behalf of our families, but also by standing in the gap as mediators of that grace that we ourselves have received and experienced to those who are still being held in bondage and captivity. Helping them to know that God is there and he's a God who rescues. Helping them to know that they can run into God's arms and experience the riches of his love which sets us free from our bondage and frees us to be made whole and to walk with him no matter what it is 
that's holding us captive. And so this morning, I want to ask you to consider where is God calling you today to cooperate with him in his mighty acts of salvation? It may be you need to respond to God's grace yourself today. That he's speaking to you and, and maybe you've turned to God at some point in the past but you need to turn again. Maybe you've never turned to God and asked him to rescue you from the captivity that you find yourself in. He's still today a God who rescues. But it may be on behalf of someone else that may be staking a claim for your family making a decision for them as how you're going to follow God together until each of them are able to choose for themselves. And it may be that there are people you know, people in your lives who are still held in bondage today, who still need to know that there's a God who loves them and can rescue them from whatever is holding them captive. And God wants to ask you to help lead them to freedom in him by the blood of Jesus to shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So however he's asking you, whatever he's calling you to this morning, would you be a person who's willing to say yes? partner with God in the salvation that he wants to bring to the world.